Welcome to the Danny Picard Show, Monday, October 5th, 2015. As always, broadcasting from the Beantown Athletic Studio in Dorchester, Massachusetts. Beantown Athletics is the only in-house union screen printer in Boston, specializing in custom uniforms and business apparel. Also, home of the best skate shopping in New England and the best deal, too. It's called the Beans Club. Join the Beans Club today for just 45 bucks which gets you 10 skate shoppings for the price of eight. That's right, two free skate shoppings when you join the Beans Club today. So grab your skates, swing by the shop on Granite Ave in Dorchester. There's plenty of parking out back. You can also give them a call for more information, 617-282-4181. That's 617-282-4181. And make sure you tell them that I sent you. So... We will wrap up week number four in the NFL tonight with some Monday night football. Detroit is in Seattle. The Seahawks are a 10-point favorite at home in this one. The latest news is that Marshawn Lynch will not be playing. No Marshawn Lynch. He's going to miss his first game since 2011. He is out with a calf hamstring injury. And you might not want me to give you any sort of pick in this game because... If and and for people that may just be listening for the first time today, uh, every Friday I give you picks, picks five games with the spread in the NFL. I got off to a great start to the season in Week One, four and one for Week One. Uh, week Two, not as good. I went two and three. Week Three, same thing, not that good. I went two and three. I entered Week Four with an eight and seven record. I'm saying, all right. You, basically, you try to stay above 500 with these things, right? I mean, I don't. It's it's pretty impossible to go perfect every single week. And even week one, when I went four and one, you know, I'll take a three and two week. I will, because you know, if you're not parlaying anything and you're just going straight, you know, each game single handedly, then if you're above 500, you know, you're walking away with something positive there. So, I, I, three and two, I'll take it. Two and three is a tough week. 0-5 is as bad as you get, and that's exactly what I did in week four. I went 0-5, and, and I'm hearing I'm hearing about it from all angles. Every, you know, people, I walk into Beantown Athletics this morning, everyone in the back's going, 0 for 5? What the fuck happened? I don't, I, I don't know what happened. You watch the NFL? The National Football League, and this isn't me throwing excuses, you know, around because I didn't win any games. Look, bottom line is this. I'm... I'm going to win his mentality here, folks. I'm going to be back next week, and I'm going to be back strong. So you better listen, you better listen next Friday. That's all I'm telling you, because I'm not going 0 for 5 again. It's not happening. And I know some people have told me they're going to listen to the picks every Friday just to go the other way, just to take the opposite of what I take because they think I'm some type of mush. I went 0 for 5 over the weekend. On Friday, I gave you my picks. I took Oakland minus 3. Over the Bears in Chicago. I took Kansas City plus four and a half over the Bengals in Cincinnati. I took the Philadelphia Eagles minus three and a half over the Redskins in D.C. I took the San Diego Chargers minus seven and a half over the Browns in San Diego. And I took the Arizona Cardinals, the the previously undefeated Arizona Cardinals, at minus seven over the Rams in Arizona. And I got every single one of them 
wrong. I did. In fact, the only one of these teams to even win their game, forget about covering, to win their game was the San Diego Chargers. And they obviously did not cover because the Chargers only won with a late field goal, 30-27. to 27. You know, Cleveland gives them an extra opportunity. How many of those did we see this week? We saw a couple extra opportunity field goals, um, you know, or missed field goals, missed kicks. The NFL is just an ugly game right now. And the Patriots had a bye week. They will go on to play the Dallas Cowboys next week. Now, there is no line to this game yet. Patriots in Dallas. Obviously, the Patriots are going to win, right? The Cowboys do not have Romo. They're without Des Bryant. Now, Brandon Whedon at times looks good. And that drive that he had late in that game last night in their loss to the Saints, you know, until before the Saints drove down and then missed the field goal, goes to overtime, and then the Saints take the ball in overtime, drive down again, and win. Before those two possessions, you know, the Cowboys driving downfield, Brandon Whedon, what a drive. I mean, Cowboys win that game. The, the storyline... Is not how the uh, the storyline is not how the Saints are winless still. That's not the storyline. The story is Brandon Whedon and how he's taking the Cowboys on his back. You know, even after they lose their running back Lance Dunbar, they and the Cowboys think that Dunbar might have torn his MCL and ACL. They, that's what they fear. That's what they fear. Now, because of an injury like that for Dallas and a couple other injuries that Dallas had in their loss to the Saints last night in overtime. Uh, There is no line for this Patriots-Cowboys game next week in Dallas. But the Patriots had the week off. They sit back. They get to watch the rest of the National Football League. And as a Patriots fan, you know, I'm I'm watching the entire NFL anyways, right? That's what I'm doing anyways. Uh, And when the Patriots are playing, I'm strictly watching the Patriots game. During commercial, I might flip to red zone. But for the most part... I'm only Patriots while the Patriots are playing. If they're playing on Sunday at 1 or 4.30 or whatever time the game is, I'm strictly watching the Patriots. Uh, So, But when they're not playing, obviously I'm on red zone and I'm watching every game that's going on, okay? And if you watched yesterday with the Patriots not playing at all all weekend, the type of just ugly football that was being played and the stupid decisions that were being made, not just by coaching staffs, but by players, by quarterbacks, by running backs. I mean, you saw it last night in the Sunday night game. You know, the the Cowboys running back, he dives over the pile when they're at the goal line and he gets his arm over the, yeah, he got his arm over the line and it ended up being a touchdown after review. But the way he was flipping backwards and threw that ball, even though they reviewed it, they called it a touchdown. That ball got loose. You know, their coach, Jason Garrett, tells him, he goes, look, I know there was a touchdown, but don't ever fucking do that again. Hold on to that football. If you're going to extend it, have two hands on it. But you didn't even need to do that. Just the decisions that are made by players and the ugly things, embarrassing, pathetic things that happen on the football field all day yesterday in every single game. I tweeted this out. I said, so many just bad decisions by players and coaches that I'm watching this as a Patriots fan going, these things would never happen to the Patriots. Like, the Patriots would never do some of this stuff. Just awful, awful, awful. And even their kicker wouldn't miss some of these kicks, right? I mean, the Steelers over the weekend, they released Josh Scobie, the guy on Thursday night who missed two fourth-quarter field goals. 
Now, I don't know. I would think that maybe the Buccaneers are going to get rid of their kicker. I would think maybe uh, the Jaguars, who had multiple opportunities at the end of regulation to go into Indy and win that game, he missed two kicks. The Jaguars kick him. Now, I didn't have a horse in that race, but that was an ugly game to watch in general. Andrew Luck didn't play. Now, the Colts have the Thursday night game. The Colts win in overtime. They get the field goal from Vinatieri, and the Colts beat the Jaguars in Indy yesterday, 16-3. So the Indianapolis Colts are now leading their division with a 2-2 record. After beginning the season 0-2, they didn't have Andrew Luck, but they are expecting Luck back on Thursday night football to begin week number five as the Colts go to Houston. But, you know, there's plenty of time to preview that stuff. But they don't have luck yesterday. They have Hasselbeck, and Hasselbeck actually, he played a decent game. It was just an ugly game to watch. And the Jaguars, with the game tied at 13, at the end of regulation, their kicker missed the first field goal, but, oh, wait a minute, back it up. He's going to get to do it again because Chuck Pagano tried to ice him and called the timeout. Jacksonville gets it again. He gets the mulligan. He misses it again. We're going to overtime, and the Colts win the game. So Scobie got released. I don't know if Jacksonville's going to release their kicker or not. Another kicker that I feel like is always missing kicks is every time I'm watching the Buccaneers, their kicker's missing a field goal. Every single time I tune in, I don't know who the fuck the guy is, but I feel like he's always missing them. Uh, the Buccaneers lost to Carolina. It's a lot happened yesterday, but just and, and I'll go over it all here on this podcast. But just to you know, my picks on Friday. I went oh for five. Let me hear it. Go ahead, let me hear it. I deserve it. I'm gonna take it. I deserve it. I am now on the season. I am eight and twelve. That's fucking brutal. Okay, that's fucking brutal. But guess what? We'll be right back at it. And I'm not gonna be right back at it and give you something tonight. Because I would stay away from this one tonight. Seattle, Detroit. Uh, Detroit has yet to win a game this season. They're 0-3. The Seahawks are 1-2, and and they're trying to get back to 500. Now, since it's in Seattle, if you wanted to just take a team to win the game, Seattle's going to win this game tonight, even without Marshawn Lynch. But, but, the 9.5, 10 points that is out there for the line, I just, it's, I'd stay away. I mean, this one could be a close one, honestly. It could be a close one. I, I do believe that with no Marshawn Lynch. So I just, I would stay away from the spread. So just because I said, you know, you, I'm going to get back up on the horse and I'm going to have a good week five. It doesn't mean I'm going to rush uh, to another pick just because I need to make a pick to get back on top. That's how you continue to lose. Going to take a couple days off here. Going to take a couple deep breaths. We're going to reevaluate the National Football League as much as it can be reevaluated, seeing all the crazy, shitty play that's out there. Because the five games I took, I mean, Arizona, did anybody think that they were going to lose to the Rams in Arizona yesterday? You know, Arizona undefeated. They've been just tearing it up offensively. Now, I'll give credit where credit's due because you got to do that at times. Todd Gurley in his second NFL game, okay, 19 carries for 146 yards. He's a beast. He had the serious knee injury, right, with Georgia. And I think that knocked him down in the draft a little bit. But if he's going to run the football like that, then you got to feel differently about the Rams. I just didn't expect that to happen in a second game. Because Nick Foles, three touchdowns, 
Here's the key. No interceptions for Nick Foles. And he threw that one interception late to Tavon Austin that was just a perfectly thrown pass. Uh, the only place you could put that ball, Austin made a nice catch. But Nick Foles, I, I, I've told you before, I think that he was the best quarterback the Eagles had. I don't know why the Eagles got rid of him. I don't. And the, here are the Eagles now. Speaking of the Eagles. Okay, but I mean, you know what? I'll get to the Eagles in a minute. Because I, I'm going to go over all my picks. But the day started yesterday. You know, the day starts with a, a game at 9.30, 10 a.m., Okay, first and foremost, I don't know how people on the West Coast do it. I don't. I don't if you listen on the West Coast, I don't know how you do it. No idea. I, I, I would feel completely different about the National Football League if I had to wake up every day on sun, every Sunday during the season and watch like 8, 10 a.m. games. I, I don't know how you do it. Now, this game for us on the East Coast was a 9.30, 10 o'clock start with Miami and New York, the Jets, essentially a home game for the Dolphins, right? That's what we're calling it. But So it's a real game for both teams. You've got to go across the pond. The Jets beat the shit out of the Dolphins, and they win it 27-14. The Dolphins look brutal. I had the Dolphins winning a wild card. I was completely wrong on this one. I, I saw them improve defensively with the Sioux pickup. I like Tannehill. I mean, Tannehill in this game, it's so weird because he'll make some big-time throws where you're like, oh, wow. I mean, that's a that's a big-time, big-boy money throw for six points right there. And, like, the one he put to the left side, I forget who it was to, but it was just, it was a perfectly thrown, that was an elite touchdown pass. Not many quarterbacks can make that throw. But then, all game long, he makes these decisions. You're like, what the fuck are you doing? What are you doing? Like, what are you, what are you? What type of quarterback are you? Bottom line is this. Joe Philbin's going to get fired. At least from when, when I'm recording this podcast right now, the news is that the Dolphins are preparing to fire Joe Philbin. That's what Adam Schefter is saying. I don't know where the Dolphins go from here, uh, who they get. I mean, this season they'll probably just fill it in with somebody on their staff, right? That's, that's, what, we, that's what I think. But next season, what are they going to do? I mean, my first reaction is seeing that the Dolphins owner is a Michigan man. And I just think of Jim Harbaugh. Harbaugh, who's at Michigan right now. The Wolverines, it depends on what rankings you look at. AP, top 25. Michigan is 18th in the country with a 4-1 and record. If you look at the coaches poll, Michigan is 21 in the nation with a 4-1 and record. I don't know if Jim Harbaugh is is ready to jump back in the NFL. I have no idea. But Stephen Ross, Dolphins owner, he's a Michigan man. Maybe maybe he gives him an offer he can't refuse. I have no idea. So I don't know where the Dolphins would go, but here's where they're not going, where I predicted them to go, to the playoffs as a wild card team. The Dolphins lose to the Jets yesterday in London. It's a terrible way for the Dolphins to start the season. It's To me, it's, as an NFL fan, it's a terrible way to start the day with the game at 9.30, 10 in the morning. I'm just not ready for it. That's why I don't know. People on the West Coast, they got to wake up on Sundays and they got to watch football at 10 a.m.? I guess I just take it for granted. Waking up, eh, give it a nice stretch, go out, get a coffee, get some breakfast, maybe even eat some lunch first before the 1 o'clock games. We got a lot of time to kill. We get, we're able to get ready, right? Can you imagine if, I mean, I can't even imagine 
what it's like. That would every single week. Wow, I I couldn't do it. I I would just put it this way: I feel differently about the NFL than I do here on the East Coast. Being able to to watch games, first games of the day at one o'clock. But you get that game in the morning. I kept I just kept forgetting about it. You know that it was in London. The Jets win, but then I'm ready for my picks because you know three of my five picks on Friday were the one o'clock games. Oakland minus three over the Bears in Chicago, Kansas City plus four and a half over the Bengals in Cincinnati, and Philadelphia minus three and a half over the Redskins in Washington. Now you got some bad weather in that Eagles Redskins game. They all, they were remember they were teasing that they might have to move the game even to a different week. Never mind to a different venue to another week later in the season, which. Was a little crazy to me, but you just—I think you just moved the venue. I mean, we've seen them move the venue for a regular season game before due to inclement weather. That's what they should have done, but they didn't have to do it. Uh, the hurricane that they were predicting wasn't as bad, or wasn't a hurricane. It was just ended up being some bad stormy weather, and at least in in, in D.C. and the Eagles. I mean, I was what a what an emotional roller coaster based on just bad football yesterday and bad decisions. Bad decisions. Awful decisions. Where do you want to begin? I mean, honestly, where do you want to begin? Let's begin with Kansas City, Cincinnati. And as I always do, again, credit where credit's due. Cincinnati wins the game. All right? Cincinnati, a big winner in this one. 36-21. The Bengals are now 4-0. They're in a division that they're probably going to win because Big Ben's out now for the next four or five weeks, and the Steelers have an awful schedule ahead of them, and... When I say awful, I mean just impossible for them to win any of them without Big Ben, I think. It's as tough as you get for Pittsburgh. They're not going to do anything. The Ravens are 1-3, and three, and the Steelers basically handed them that game on Thursday night. The Browns are 1-3 and three after they lose uh, in San Diego and basically give San Diego that game. After San Diego's kicker missed the kick, uh, the winning kick, and then Cleveland, they were offside, so San Diego got to do it again. And they get it the second time. Cleveland gave them that. Cleveland's 1-3. and three. So Cincinnati's going to win their division, right? And they're, prob- they're probably going to battle. Now, they have a tough... Look, Cincinnati has a tough schedule here. They do. And that's why I've, I've been hesitant to put them as one of the top four elite with all those undefeateds that I did last week. Uh, because they're at home against the Seahawks. Then they go to Buffalo. But I guess maybe Buffalo isn't looking like it's that tough a place to play. The Giants go in there and win and win their second game of the season. So so at first, you know, going into this week, it looked like Cincy's schedule was going to be maybe a little bit more difficult than it looks right now. So you got to give credit where credit's due, though. Cincy, they look legit. Andy Dalton, he's making all the big plays. Uh, their running back can't be tackled. I mean, the Bengals, they, they are rushing the quarterback. They look like a scary group right now. But I just, the, the reason I'm hesitant to still go there with Cincinnati is I feel like we do this every year with the Bengals, don't we? I just feel like we always do this. And they always seem to disappoint. Not disappoint me because I'm not out rooting for Cincinnati. But Bengals fans or teams that might bet them, you know, or pick them to win, they ultimately end up disappointing. So they're off to a hot start right now. They look very, very good. Uh, all phases of the game. They do. Cincinnati looks like one of the tougher teams to beat in the NFL right now. And they're at home. They play Kansas City, a team that I told you. I mean, Kansas City, they lose to Denver. They lose to Green Bay. 
you know, those aren't easy games for Kansas City. So I just felt like their talent was a little bit better than maybe the record showed, given the teams that they lost to. And uh, I thought they'd go into Cincinnati, which I didn't think was an impossible place for them to win. And I thought they'd put up some points. Now, Kansas City put up 21 points. Here's the problem. Every single one of those 21 points were field goals. And Andy Reid, late in the game, down 14 points, he decides, ah, we're going to kick a field goal on fourth down. Like, what, what are you doing? Kick a field goal on fourth down? You're down by 14 points, two-possession game. I don't know if Andy Reid doesn't know how to do math or not, but last time I checked, three points in a 14-point game keeps it a two-possession ball game. Like, what the fuck is going through his head? Just and, and not only that, but Kansas City, their play calling from their own 15, 20-yard line up to through midfield, the, the Chiefs all day, they were able to move the ball from their own 20 through midfield into Bengal territory. They get down to the 40, 35-yard line, and it was like the Bengals put up a, a, a cement wall at the line of scrimmage. The, you, they couldn't get past that yard market. That's why they had to keep kicking field goals. But I also thought the play calling was embarrassing for Kansas City whenever they got into Cincinnati territory. I mean, I don't know what was going on in KC, but it was like Jamal Charles wasn't even part of that team once they passed midfield. I, I, I didn't understand it. So Kansas City couldn't do anything. They scored 21 points, all field goals. It's embarrassing. I just feel, and I know they don't score touchdowns with their wide receivers, but guess what? This their offense is so much more talented than that. And yeah, as much as I sit here and say I think Alex Smith is underrated, yeah, I do blame the play calling. I do blame maybe Kansas City's off offensive line for not being able to stop anything once they got down into Bengals territory. But still, Alex Smith's got to be better than that. I mean, you got to move the chains at some point. I can't sit here and keep defending you. If you can't move the chains, you get down and you kick seven field goals, at some point that's on your quarterback, okay? Even the people who defend them like me, at some point that's on your quarterback. You got to move the chains, man. I I don't give a fuck what you do, but you got to move the chains. He couldn't do it. Chiefs couldn't do it. They kicked seven field goals in this one. That's a complete fucking embarrassment. It is. Cincinnati, also credit to them, they do seem like they're an unstoppable group right now. Uh, but the Chiefs were underdogs. They were getting points. I, I never expect. I never said they would definitely win that game. I just thought if they, I just thought if they lost, right? I thought if they lost, they could at least cover. Maybe they would lose by three. But they couldn't put it in the end zone. They couldn't move the chains when they got down to the thirty yard line, and it was embarrassing. But you you lost that one. I had a feeling early that that I was going to lose that one, just the way it was going. Um, Oakland. At a 1 o'clock game, too. I, I had Oakland minus 3 over the Bears in Chicago. And if you had watched the Raiders recently, and if you would listen to this show after watching the Raiders, you know that I'm very high on Derek Carr. Derek Carr, to me, has shown me an awful lot. He has impressed me greatly with the plays that he's been able to make. He's got a whole lot of weapons offensively. And his defense, they've been making big plays. And they made big plays yesterday, late in the game. I was six minutes left, six and a half minutes left in the fourth quarter. You trail by two. You come up, you know, the, the Bears are driving in Chicago. Cutler throws one up. Woodson picks it off. You come downfield, okay? You're running the clock out. If you're Oakland, what do you do? You get down, uh, what, inside the, the 30? And you're moving the ball? You get, you get a third and two? 
and you decide to hand it off? I didn't, your running back's hurt. You're handing it off to the backup. What are you doing? It's another decision. Oakland played for the winning field goal, and they played to try to run the clock out. I'm okay with trying to run the clock out. But here's, you better, you're running the clock out. You better guarantee me that you're at least using the two-minute warning. You, that is just, to me, that's just bad clock management, too. I'm not against running clock out at any point in time. But you, a couple things need to happen. One, you need to have the lead. And, and Oakland did not have the lead at that point as they're driving down by two with a couple of minutes left, with, with a little less than three minutes left. And they're down inside uh, Chicago territory, okay? Oakland, they, they didn't have the lead. They were down by two. The other thing was, it's third and two, and when you hand the, when you decide to run it and run the clock out, you better be at least running it past the two-minute warning so that the two-minute warning goes off. And that you essentially allow the Bears to waste a timeout. Because the Bears looking at it, they had two timeouts left and the two-minute warning. And so you're saying, I think if you're Oakland, okay, we're going to let them use their other timeout essentially the third, which is the two-minute warning. The, the, the clock didn't even set you up for that. You have to kick that field goal like with like two minutes and five seconds left. So you didn't even let, make them use the two-minute warning timeout. So running the football in that situation, to me, wasn't should not have been the decision that was made. The decision that should have been made was, all right, it's third and two. We're driving the ball downfield, all right? We trail this game. We're not going to run it down to the two-minute one. We're going to be close, but we're not going to run it. We have a quarterback here who has been making big plays for us all season long. All right? We're, we got we got a backup running back in the game. We need to make a decision. Do we run the clock an extra 35 seconds? Or, or do we put the ball in the hands of our young quarterback who seems to be making all the big plays this season? who in the last couple games has been driving us downfield, making big plays. I mean, to talk about the complete opposite strategy when you played the Ravens a couple weeks ago. Remember that game? Oakland moving the ball downfield, moving the ball downfield. All they needed to do was tie it, kick a field goal, tie it, get in the field goal range, kick it, tie it, send it to overtime. No, that's not their strategy. Oakland, you know what they did? They had this killer instinct. They said, we're putting the ball in the hands of our young quarterback that's making all these big plays in this game, and we're going to let him win it for us. And you know what Derek Carr did? He, he won it. He didn't just get him in field goal range. He got the Raiders a touchdown. That's the, I don't know why that wouldn't be your mentality yesterday. Look, there's certain times where you need to run the clock out. Clock management. Get it. But Del Rio yesterday made it just... I don't know if he didn't know how much time was on the clock. Sometimes I don't know what these coaches are thinking. Like, this is all day long. This is throughout the entire league. Right? What What is going on? You would never see this shit with the Patriots. Never. But it was like they didn't know that they weren't going to run it down through the two. It's, it's another thing. If you're telling me that, all right, you get to run that third and two play from the Chicago, what was it, at the Chicago 22-yard line. If you're telling me you trail. Right, which they did, which they 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 trailed the game, nineteen to seventeen, and you could run that third and two play. It would be run a play, and you'd run it down to like a minute fifty-five, essentially using the two-minute warning. 
while the Bears have two timeouts, I'd say, all right, I could see that. You're using up the two-minute warning, and then you kick the ball with a minute 55. You give them the ball a minute 50 with two timeouts. I could see that. You run it. No, you kicked it with 210. Two minutes, 10 seconds. So you still have Chicago with essentially three timeouts. And you took a two-point lead, 22-20. Instead, you should have put the ball in the hands of your quarterback because on third and two, if Derek Carr can't make the play, all right, it's fourth and two, and there's, what, there's, there's 245 left. Still, either way, you didn't run it through the two-minute warning. Like, what, what the, what's going through Oakland's head? I, I didn't know. And you still kicked the field goal. That was a, basically for Jankowski a chip shot, 41-yarder. Because you ended up, when you ran it on third and two, you lost a yard. So, I mean, uh, uh, Oak, look, Oakland kicked the field goal. They took a lead, 20-19. to 19, And then what did they do? They gave Chicago the time that, that they, they thought they were running off the clock, and they ended up not doing it. Chicago comes down. Jay Cutler drives the Bears down the field. And the Bears kick a field goal. And the Bears win the game 22-20. Where the Raiders should have been trying to go for the first down and then pound it in with a touchdown. That's what they should have tried to do. I mean, you can make the case, too, third and two, you pass that ball. It, the first down ends the game for you. Then you get in Chicago, two-minute line. Then you get them to use one timeout, two timeouts. I mean, just Oakland's decision-making late in that game was so frustrating to watch. And I would have felt like that even if I didn't have him part of my picks. Because you know I've been high on Oakland. You know I've been high on the Raiders. But I've been high on the Raiders because of the way they've been able to manage the, the game in the fourth quarter with Derek Carr. And they just completely got away from that on their final drive in Chicago, a place that they absolutely should have won. Because even with Jay Cutler, the Bears are terrible. Terrible. So, Oakland, I lose that too. Oakland loses it as well. And uh, the Raiders right now, they're 2-2. Two and two. Uh, The Broncos won their game over the Vikings 23-20. So, the Broncos are, st- are still undefeated, 4-0. Uh, but stick with my picks. Then I had Philly. I mean, you thought I was frustrated with Kansas City and Oakland, right? Right? How about the Eagles? They trailed this game in Washington. Now, first and foremost, I took the Philadelphia Eagles as a three-and-a-half-point favorite on the road because Washington's no good. And even in D.C., that's not, you know, that's not an impossible place to play. And as much as I hate the Eagles this season, I, I've to- I told you that. This is a game, even the Eagles, as bad as they are, as bad as Sam Bradford is, as much as I hate Chip Kelly, as much as I despise the Eagles' strategy in their organization to get rid of all those talented players the last couple years and have Chip Kelly think he's doing it his way, I fucking hate that. I hate the Eagles, but as much as I hate them and I think they suck, they should have went into D.C. yesterday and won that game. They trailed at halftime 13 nothing, And I'm going, you know what? I even tweeted this out. I said, I'm actually rooting for the Eagles to lose. Even though I picked them, I'm rooting for them to lose. That's how easy the Eagles are to hate, at least this Eagles group, where they think they know everything, right? They're just on the field, and they're trying to do new things. DeMarco Murray, after the game, he says he wants the ball more. First of all, let's not talk about giving DeMarco Murray the ball. Let's talk about when you do give him the ball— I don't know what coach in their right mind, after watching what DeMarco Murray did last year, would want DeMarco Murray, whenever he gets the ball, to go east-west. Why would you want that? He should be going north-south, pounding it up the middle. Like Chip Kelly tries to reinvent the wheel to the point where I think this guy's actually a fucking moron. Like, 
I think you would get kids. This is a dead serious comment. You could get somebody out there who has never even put on football pads in their life that plays Madden the video game. That could that could manage a team and a game plan at least with the obvious superstar players that could manage this stuff better than Chip Kelly could. I, I honestly believe that. You could find someone out there that's never played football, that plays Madden, that is dominant in Madden. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's sad, but that's the way it is. And even as much as I was rooting against Philly as they trailed 13-0 in D.C., they, they were trailing 13-0 at the half. The Eagles, they did storm back, okay? They stormed back in this game. And to the point where I'm looking at it going, all right, now they're going to win and they're going to cover. They're three and a half point favorites. They come down. They get a touchdown. They lead. The Eagles lead it 20 to 16. It seems to be what the Eagles do. They have terrible first halves offensively. And then they, I don't know, they figure something out at the half and they make some plays and are able to put some points on the board in the third and fourth quarters. They get another touchdown in the fourth quarter. They, the Eagles take a 20-16 to 16 lead in D.C. You're saying, okay, uh, you, you ran. You know, now, finally, all you need to do is make one stop. You need to make one stop. Redskins get the ball back late in the fourth quarter. You're up 20-16. You need one stop. This isn't an impossible task. This is the Redskins. They're terrible. Kirk Cousins. I mean, you're going to let him go on a game-winning drive? And by the way, this wasn't a situation where the Redskins were trying to just get into field goal territory. They needed a touchdown. There's no four-point field goal. Field goal's only three points. Even though Andy Reid and the Chiefs might not understand that. I don't know if Andy Reid thought maybe field goals are worth six points this year. But that's why they kicked seven of them. And they were shocked that they didn't have 42 points and win that game 42-36. I don't know. But uh, field goals are only worth three points. So the Redskins, back to the Redskins-Eagles. Redskins, they, they need a touchdown. What, what do they do? Kirk Cousins, okay? Kirk Cousins drives 90 yards downfield on 15 plays in 5 minutes and 39 seconds. And with 26 seconds left in the game, he throws a touchdown pass, a four-yard touchdown pass to Hopkins. And they get the extra point. It's good. And the Redskins take a 23-20 to lead. And eventually win it 23-20 because 26 seconds is not enough time to score. Uh, just embarrassing for the Eagles. You know, a tough, tough loss for me, obviously my picks. But you want to look at it, just Philly, just the Eagles, just the football team in general. They're now 1-3 and three on the season. You have a 20-16 to lead. You got to stop Kirk Cousins from going on a 90-yard Six-minute drive with 15 plays to not get a field goal to get a touchdown. He needs a touchdown. You can't stop that. That's pathetic. That's pathetic. And, and for all these people that we're talking about on the hot seat, Philbin is going to be going. All right? I'm wondering if Andy Reid, Kansas City, on the hot seat. Chip Kelly, if you're going to have this conversation, he's got to be in the conversation. Got to be. Got to be. Because what he has done to that organization is he's completely butchered it to the point where I don't think you have anybody in that Eagles room that feels good about the guy sitting next to him on either side. In fact, you got guys in that room that look themselves in the mirror that don't feel good about themselves because Chip Kelly isn't using them the right way a la DeMarco Murray. It's a joke. Chip Kelly's a joke. He's brutal. 
I would, if I'm an Eagle fan, I would want him out so fucking quick, it's not even funny. Because the quarterback they should have is out now working with Todd Gurley in St. Louis, and they're beating the undefeated Arizona Cardinals in Arizona. How do you feel about that if you're an Eagle fan? You happy about that? Can't be too happy. Not give, You went into Washington, and you lose a game in which you had a four-point lead in the final minutes. And all you needed to do was stop Kirk Cousins on going on this just magical drive. And instead, your defense made Kirk Cousins look like Tom fucking Brady. And he is anything but. All right? So, that's how my 1 o'clock games went. How'd yours go? What are the other, some of the other ones? Oh, the Bills, they lost to the Giants. Uh, Carolina beat the team they should have beaten, Tampa Bay. You know, Winston just kept turning the ball over. Jameis Winston makes brutal decisions on the football field. And, you know, I, I said this going into his career. I just, he just makes dumb decisions. He just, it just doesn't look like he has a football IQ. That's going to be good enough to, to let him succeed at that level, right? Uh, you got the Houston-Atlanta game. Atlanta stays undefeated. They whoop Houston in Atlanta. Uh, the Texans, once again, they, go, they end up going back to Hoya at the end of the game, right? I told you that Bill O'Brien's going to be going back and forth Mallet Hoya all season long. It's, but, I mean, if you're Houston, you know, this is a game you can't necessarily just put it on the quarterbacks, even though they're no good. You can't let up 48 points and turn it around and, and stop blaming the quarterbacks. So Houston's got some work that they need to do uh, because the Texans right now, they're 1-3, and three, and they come in a shortened week, Thursday night football, and uh, they're going to host the Indianapolis Colts. And as I mentioned, Indy is expecting, even though they did not have Andrew Luck play this week, they are expecting Andrew Luck with that shoulder injury to return on Thursday night. But we'll wait and see. Uh, it's plenty of time to preview that. We're looking back at this past week, the week that was in the NFL, and just looking at the 1 o'clocks here. Uh, anything else that I missed? I don't believe I did. So then you, you, you get to the 4 o'clocks, right? And I had two there. So I'm thinking, all right, maybe I win my, my next two. And I did feel good about San Diego over Cleveland and Arizona over the Rams, and I'm thinking, all right, I'll take two of three for the third straight week and, and stick at 500, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll take it into week five and go from there. But that's not what we were because San Diego – now, I was not able to watch – I wasn't able to watch these games. I watched the highlights because I was on WEEI on the radio last night I was doing Red Sox review, the final Red Sox review of the season. I did get into some football late, but they don't have red zone in there. So I, was, you know, I wasn't able to watch. I wasn't able to see the game that was on TV. I, that was the only game I could watch while it was on air. That was Denver and Minnesota. And the Broncos win that game. Broncos remain undefeated. But the Vikings put up a fight. You know, they had a chance to drive downfield, get into field goal range, and tie it late. And then some pressure on Teddy Bridgewater. He fumbles. He loses the fumble. Broncos recover. They seal the deal on the win. You got a big run late up the middle from Adrian Peterson to keep him in that game. Vikings are good, man. I have the Vikings going to the playoffs, going into the season, and I'm not regretting that one bit. As the Vikings sit here at 2-2, two and two, now the Packers are undefeated in their division still uh, because the Packers went into San Fran and won that game yesterday 17-3. I didn't see much of that game either. I watched Denver... Minnesota, so I was not able to see San Diego beat Cleveland. Obviously, I saw what happened at the end of the San Diego game where they missed the field goal to win it, 
and but then there was an offsides call on Cleveland, so San Diego got to kick it again, and they hit it at the buzzer, and that was it. They beat Cleveland, but they don't cover for me, right? They don't cover because the Chargers, when I took them on Friday on picks picks, they were a 7.5-point favorite. I believe it went down to 5. Even so, you don't cover if you took the Chargers. They win the game. I expected them to win. I did not expect it to be that close. And San Diego now, here they are at 2-2 two and two on the season. And with Oakland losing, they're 2-2 two and two as well. But they're both looking up at Denver at 4-0. and all. Kansas City below them at 1-3. and three. So I lose that San Diego bet. And then Arizona. I did not expect them. I just was so high on the Cardinals. that, And I was so low on the Rams that in Arizona... I just didn't see it. And I thought the seven points that the Rams were getting just wasn't enough. Arizona's seven-point favorite. I took the Cardinals. I said, this is going to be easy. I, I felt great about that pick. Didn't I felt great about a couple picks. Just didn't happen. And I didn't get to see all of that game. But when you fumble the opening kickoff, okay, and basically spot the Rams' points in, your own, in Arizona, you're in your building. You fumble the opening kickoff. And you spot the road team points in the first couple minutes. It's not a good sign. And it's not a good way to start the game. And, of course, on top of that, credit where credit's due. Foles didn't make any mistakes. And Todd Gurley in his second NFL game was absolutely phenomenal. Rushing for over 100 yards. And now you gotta, maybe you've got to look at St. Louis differently now if, when you add Gurley into that mix. And if he's going to be able to run like that and be a beast like that, the Rams in that division, they're 2-2. Two and two. They look up at the Cardinals at 3-1. and one. You know, I, uh, the Seahawks are 1-2. and two. We'll see what they do tonight. I expect the Seahawks to win at home against Detroit tonight. I would stay away from the spread. I expect Seattle to win tonight, though. And, um, you know, I, and go to 2-2. Two and two. 49 is a brutal. I mean, Kaepernick, I don't know what's happened to him. I, I honestly don't know. When he made that run uh, to, the, to the Super Bowl that year and they lost to Baltimore, I'm looking at Kaepernick. Regular season, throughout the playoffs, thinking this this kid's unstoppable. And he's going to be unstoppable for years to come. It's just, it's ugly now. And it's getting to the point where if you're in San Francisco, you're looking at a 1-3 and three team. Uh, you know, are you, are you thinking quarterback change? You got to be at least thinking about it, don't you? Don't you have to at least be thinking about it? Man. So you got that. You got those games. I went 0-5. You go into the Sunday night game. I wasn't going to touch the Sunday night game. Breeze did play. Okay. And Dallas, you know, they have a couple key injuries which are going to factor into maybe what the line's going to be against the Patriots in Dallas next weekend. But the Patriots get to sit there and watch that. And, and I don't think they watch Brandon Whedon. I don't think they fear him. I wouldn't fear him at all. But you got to give credit with, to Br- Brandon Whedon. He made a drive down late. In that game that, you know, I thought if the Cowboys could pull that out, that's the drive we'd be talking about. We wouldn't be talking about Drew Brees and the Saints beginning the season uh, without a win and beginning the season at 0-4. Saints get their first win, and if they didn't, we wouldn't be talking about the winless Saints. We'd be talking about Brandon Whedon and how he drove them down the field late in that game to tie the game with a touchdown a 91-yard drive, right, that scored at just a little under two minutes left. I mean, that's a fourth and seven pass. Fourth and seven. Fourth and seven. Whedon comes back, throws it down the right sideline. Now, I will say this. They reviewed it. 
I think. They may have to review it. Under two minutes, coaches can't challenge. Every score and plays a review. They ruled it a touchdown. Terrence Williams? Um, he dove down the right sideline into the end zone? I, first of all, here's, here's the deal. I want It was a catch. They ruled it a catch. I want that to be a catch. Like, I want that to be a catch. But I feel like, given the rule, I feel like that wasn't a catch. Now, Collinsworth and Al Michaels didn't agree with me. They agreed with the call on the field, which it was a touchdown. And I want that to be a touchdown. Let me clarify. I want that to be a catch. I want, I want this to be a league where that is a catch. Terrence Williams dives, gets his hand under it. All right, ball hits the ground a little bit, moves. But he caught it, right? I mean, what do you want? But if you're going to – I feel like if you're going by the rule, I feel like that wasn't a catch. I feel like that ball moved, and the ball helped him control it in his hands. Like I, but they couldn't challenge it, and Sean Payton calls it his last time out under two minutes just to get the officials to come over and to tell the officials he didn't catch that ball. But there's nothing they could do. So the Saints, they – they used their last time out. But it's a tie game. What happens? Drew Brees drives him down the field. 68-yard drive. It's just a magical drive with no timeouts left. And you set yourself up for a field goal. That's it, right? Game over. 30-yard field goal. No good. Hits the left upright. Comes down. No good. You're going to overtime. In overtime. What happens? Um, Saints get the ball. Another magical drive. And it ends up in a touchdown. So you get that touchdown to C.J. Spiller, who just continued the run down the right side. Saints win it 26-20 in overtime. And the Cowboys now have to face the Patriots. And the Cowboys are all banged up. And uh, there's no way that Dallas is going to beat New England. There's just no way. I don't know what the spread is yet. We don't know. I think because the Cowboys have some injuries here. Uh, So we'll wait and see. When that comes out, we'll evaluate it. But... We wrap up week four tonight. I'm telling you to stay away. And I know people say, well, I'm not listening to you anymore with your picks. I would, you know, I'd go against that logic because I have given you some other games, some Thursday night games, and even the Monday night game last week I told you to take Green Bay. If I feel good about some other games that are not part of picks, picks, I'm going to give them. Gave you a couple baseball wins that I had late in the season that are huge. So, and I don't add those to my standings, right? Uh, maybe a bad week to start putting picks picks on YouTube, though. <laughs> I will say that. Oh, for five. But again, I- I'm I'm gonna be right back on the horse next week. Next Friday, I'm gonna be here, and I'm back, baby. Next week, I am back. Next Friday, five and zero. Oh next week, uh, yeah. You know what? Maybe you maybe you try to get to three and two. But I-, I try to make picks that I feel good about. All of them. I felt good about all of them this weekend. I got none of them right. But in fairness, there was some real shit football played this week. There were some stupid, dumb, just infuriating decisions by coaches, by players um, that, that, to me, I look at it and think, well, I didn't lose. They did. <laughs> right? I didn't lose. They did. So uh, I'll be back next Friday to make my picks. And, and maybe along the way, I'll give you a couple baseball games because the Major League Baseball postseason is here. And it begins tomorrow. Now, we don't have any play-in games today. It was looking like over the weekend that might be the case. It was looking like we were going to have the Angels and the Astros in a play-in game to get to the wild card one-game playoff. But the, the Texas Rangers, Cole Hamels took the Rangers on his back yesterday, 
and they beat the Angels, and they eliminated the Angels from postseason. And in the process, the Texas Rangers won the AL West. And on top of that, hey, the Astros lost last night. So the Angels needed a win and the Astros to lose to force that one-game playoff between Angels-Astros for that last wildcard spot. And, and the Angels, they, they got Arizona to beat Houston. The Angels just didn't hold up their end of the bargain, and they lost to Texas. So Texas wins the division. Uh, Houston, even with a loss, they clinched the second wild card. They clinched the playoffs. And the AL wild card game will be tomorrow night, Tuesday night, 8 o'clock, one game. Astros are in the Bronx against the Yankees. You looking at pitching matchup here? Well, I'll give it to you. Dallas Keuchel, the ace for the Astros. He's going to go on short rest. He's going on short rest in this one. That's what you got to do. That's why I love it. Short rest. Uh, I, we'll see how it works out, but Masahiro Tanaka for the Yankees is going on extra rest. He's going on extra rest. Five days rest, so a day extra. We'll see how that works out. A lot of times you think, oh, extra rest is good. I, but I've seen extra rest to be maybe a bad thing for certain pitches. Um, but we'll see how it plays out, but Keiko Tanaka, I'll talk more baseball tomorrow. You get that AL wildcard game tomorrow night. National League wildcard game. We've known this was going to be the game in the NL wildcard for a while. Uh, it is going to be Cubs at the Pirates on Wednesday night, 8 o'clock in Pittsburgh. Arietta versus Cole. Now, Arietta is going to be on normal rest, and Cole is going to be on extra rest. So, Arietta is one of the hottest pitches in baseball. Cole has been very good as well in his last couple starts. I did, I, if I had a Look, right now, looking at these two games, I I love the Cubs. I don't know how you can't love Arietta the way he's pitched. I, for, put it this way. I could never bet against Arietta. If there's one of these four pitches in the next couple nights in these two wildcard games that I could not bet against, it's I cannot bet against Jake Arietta. I can't do it. I just can't. He's been phenomenal all season long, and he has just been the hottest pitcher in baseball as of late. And I, so I just wouldn't be able to bet, to bet against him. Uh, the other series that are ready to go, we got the Rangers and the Blue Jays in their first round ALDS. Game one is going to be Thursday night, Rangers-Blue Jays. And also on Thursday night, you get the other ALDS game, which is going to be in Kansas City. The Royals will play the winner of the Astros-Yankees game. So they'll be watching that. ALDS begins Thursday night. And then Friday night, the two NLDS series will begin. The Mets will be in L.A. against the Dodgers. And then we get the winner of the Cubs. Pirates will be in St. Louis to take on the Cardinals, which is something that never used to happen in the old postseason. Before the days of the second wildcard team, you would never get in the first round. Two teams from the same division could never play in the divisional series. But now, with the extra wildcard, they've taken that out. Right? So now two teams from the same division can play in the first round. Well, I, I still call it the first round. The divisional series, we'll call it now. Uh, so you can have the Cardinals against the team in their division, either Cubs or Pirates. I would think it's the Cubs, but uh, we'll let it play out. I'm all jacked up for postseason baseball, but that means also that the Red Sox are not in it. Red Sox season is over. They played their final game last night. Uh, they finish in last place. With a 78 and 84 record, uh, the Red Sox made a couple decisions before their final game yesterday in Cleveland, and they lose a couple decisions here. 
the Red Sox announced that John Farrell will be back as Red Sox manager next year. Obviously, given if given his health, you know, if if he's healthy enough uh, to manage this team, he will. And the Red Sox also announced that Tori Lovello, the current interim manager for the Red Sox, will be back as the bench coach with a new two-year extension. Part of that two-year extension for Tori Lovello, Lovello waves his right to get a manager job next season. And I know some people look at that and go, oh, why would he do that? And some people might say, well, it's because he's a loyal cat. I think there's some loyalty that goes along with it. But I also think that if you're Tori Lovello, you know, you've been the interim manager for a Red Sox team that's been somewhat exciting the second half, or at least much more exciting the second half than it was in the first half. And I think you're sitting there looking at it going, okay, at some point in the next two years, a managerial spot will open, and, you know, I'm going to be interviewed for it, and I'm going to be a pretty good candidate for that job, right? But at the same time, if, if you stay with the Red Sox, next season, and you get off to a terrible start, and Farrell's on the hot seat, you're probably going to get rid of Farrell, because that will mean that it's the third straight season, you're looking at last place in the division, that can't happen, not in this town, I don't care who you are, heads can roll, heads will roll, Farrell will probably lose his job if they get off to a terrible start next season, which means that Tori Lovello will step in to be the next manager of the Boston Red Sox, which I would think that all of a sudden, you know, you see how that goes, you rip up that contract, you sign him to an extension. Lavello knows that if he stays in Boston, at least if something happens, he's going to be the guy that's going to step into that spot. And if, if nothing happens, Red Sox win, Farrell keeps his, keeps his job, Lavello's part of it, Lavello knows that he's going to get something the, next, the following season as a manager in baseball. So to me, it's a good business decision. Rather than if you're Lavello, say, nah, you know what, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go out and I'm going to try to get a job. Let's say you don't. Let's say you don't get one right now. Right? Now, there is an opening. There is an opening because the breaking news today is that the Washington Nationals have fired their manager, Matt Williams, after their just brutal collapse. You know, they they had a fight in the dugout late in the season to the point where the last couple games you suspend Papelbon and then Nationals players, uh, they're celebrating – scoring runs by fake choking each other in the dugout as a mockery. It's just the Nationals have just one big dumpster fight. Though I will say this, Max Scherzer threw a no-hitter over the weekend, and it was as dominant a no-hitter that you're going to see, by the way. I was in. I was watching that end of that game. Max Scherzer struck out the last nine hitters of the Mets lineup, went through the lineup one last time, struck out the last nine hitters swinging, all of them swinging. Max Scherzer, tremendous performance over the weekend. His second no-hitter of the year, of the season. But it didn't do anything because the Nationals aren't going to playoffs. They fire their manager today. So that's a spot that could have been opened up for Lavello. But at the same time, if you're Lavello, uh, you got your eye on the rest of the league. You know something's going to come your way. And I don't know that anything was guaranteed to come his way this winter. So I think he looked at that and said... I might as well stick around, see what happens here. And, you know, look, if we win, I'm part of it. And maybe I build my resume even more and I'm, I'm even more coveted by another GM next winter. Or if we lose and Farrell loses his job, I stick around and I'm the guy that moves up and I'm the next manager of the Boston Red Sox. So I think good business decision on his part.
So you got that news before. And the Farrell thing, bringing Farrell back for the Red Sox. I'm, forget about, first of all, we all hope and pray that John Farrell is going to be healthy very soon. Okay? We hope and pray for that. But I'm putting that aside for a minute, and I'm just looking at this. You know, before the announcement that John Farrell was diagnosed with cancer, before that, people were calling this guy out. They say, oh, he might have to go. And I told you, no, I, I don't think he should because I, I don't think that this is a manager issue. I think this is a talent issue on this Red Sox team, and that's why Ben Sherrington's not coming back. I know Sherrington stepped down, but you know my theory on that. The Red Sox bring in Dombrowski, and when they bring in Dombrowski, they're basically forcing Sherrington to resign. Because Sherrington has more pride than that. The Red Sox knew when they brought in Dombrowski, Sherrington was not going to stick around. They knew that. So they really did kind of get rid of him. But uh, with that said, that's the move they needed to make. This was a talent issue. When you don't provide the type of talent that's going to get this Red Sox team out of the basement of the division for two straight years, then heads are going to roll. And the GM, it's a GM issue, not a manager issue. They got a new GM. Okay, they got a new baseball operations staff. And when I look at that, I am now going to give Dombrowski, Hazen, Frank Wren, whoever the fuck's calling the shots in the front office. I I think it's overcrowded. I don't know what they're doing bringing Frank Wren in. But whatever, that's the move they made. Uh, Everything still goes through Dombrowski. So I'm basically looking at it and saying, I'm going to now put the pressure on Dombrowski. You got to go out and get some pitching. Because you look at the Major League Baseball postseason landscape right now, and you go up and down, every single team doesn't just have one dominant starting pitcher, they have two. They have two, each and every one of them. The Red Sox don't have any. Now, you might look at, all right, Eddie Rodriguez, could he be? Maybe. Still some things that concern me with him, as high as I was on him all season. Henry Owens got lit up in his last start. I'm still concerned with the fact that, sure, Henry Owens' off-speed stuff is nice, but he only throws 90 miles an hour. Brian Johnson was injured. He only throws 89-90, even though his off-speed is good. Uh, Wade Miley, if you're going to rely on him and Buckholtz and Kelly and Porcello next year, you're going to be driving yourself crazy, and John Farrell will get fired. Right? I mean, you gotta, Dave Dombrowski needs to look at the landscape of the Major League Baseball postseason and understand what he needs to do. First and foremost, he needs to fix his pitching. Bring some pitches in here. Via trade, via spending money on a sign, free agent signing, you name it, he's got to do it. If he can do that, provide some talent, then it's on the manager, right? At that point, it's on the manager. But I'm not getting rid of the manager right now, so bringing Farrell back to me is almost a no-brainer. You bring him back. That's fine. So I don't get too worked up about that. I've been saying that for a while. You have to bring Farrell back. This wasn't a manager issue. It was his talent issue, and now... Dombrowski, I, and I'm confident that he's going to make those types of moves, bring in some pitching, and if this team doesn't win with that pitching, and you got the, the managers there, and he's, it's not working out, then yeah, that's when you get rid of Farrell, and that's when Lavello moves up. But the Red Sox are going to bring those guys back. One guy that the Red Sox, oh, I should say the Red Sox broadcasting network, isn't bringing back, even though I've been told that it actually was Tom Warner did not want Oh, I should say he wanted Dave O'Brien in that spot. All right, Tom Warner wanted Dave O'Brien in that spot. Well, Dave O'Brien is going to replace Don Osillo. Don Osillo is the Red Sox play-by-play guy for the last 15 years on the television broadcast. I, I was on WEI last night doing the last Red Sox review, and I sort of I had to open the show with that. Like, 
the Osillo stuff was an, it was an emotional moment for Don Osillo because it was his last game. You know, his contract was not renewed. He didn't want to go anywhere. He'd done the play-by-play for the Red Sox on Nesson for 15 years. He, if it, uh, My opinion on it is, if it's not broke, don't fix it. I didn't think it was broke. Uh, I didn't think they needed to make a move. But as I just told you, Tom Warner, he did want Dave O'Brien in that spot, and that's the move they went with. Um, so Osillo's gone. He's going to be going to San Diego. He's got a job as the San Diego Padres play-by-play guy. So it's a nice landing spot for him. It's out of... It's out of the cold weather, even even in April and May here in Boston. Um, but he obviously was emotional to the point. You spend 15 years in a certain spot. You don't want to leave. You create relationships. The relationship he had with Remy, uh, you heard him in his speech in the ninth inning after the eighth inning, and Osillo gave it, and he was very emotional about it. In fact, I'm watching it, and Jerry Remy might have been more emotional than anybody because the elephant in the room there was that they weren't doing this send-off for Jerry Remy, but I'm not so sure Remy's going to be back before Sillo's gone. Because that's sort of this rumor that's out there, too, that, you know, Remy works so well with Orsillo, and Remy, you know, maybe they want to make a complete change. Maybe they change it all. Maybe they bring in a new color commentator. I don't know. Who would it be? Would, would it be Lou Merloni? I, Lou, Lou would be a great, that would be a great spot for him. I don't know if it's going to be. I'm just, I'm just throwing out names based on who I think would be a good uh, person in that spot if they were to get rid of Jerry Remy. I don't know if they're going to do that, but when I'm watching it, my reaction was that, wow, what struck me the most about it was, yeah, it was a little awkward because Osilla gave his speech and then it's the ninth inning and neither one of them are talking. They're both kind of crying in the in the booth and they had the camera on them while they're crying and they're not talking and I'm going, this is a little too awkward Maybe you get the camera off him for a second, huh? I don't know that they want the camera on him right now. It just, and then after the game, the Red Sox do a nice job. The team, the players, the coaching staff, they come out of the dugout in Cleveland, and they all look up to the booth, and they all take the hat off, pound their chest, and thank and wave to Don Osillo in his last game uh, as Red Sox play-by-play guy. And it was, that was cool. That was a cool thing for the Red Sox to do. So I applaud them for that. Uh, but just goes to show you, you know, it's a move that a lot of us think didn't need to be made and, and, and shouldn't have been made. Now, let's no knock on Dave O'Brien. He's going to do a great job in that spot uh, to the point where you might get a lot of people that, that like him better. But as I mentioned, my theory on it, my opinion, if it's not broke, don't fix it. I don't think they had to change anything. But when they give this emotional send-off yesterday, I felt like the elephant in the room was that, you know, Jerry Remy might have been thinking to himself, this is maybe my last game doing this. And and it was portrayed as the Osillo final moment where Remy didn't necessarily get to give any type of speech about himself. And I mean, he played for the fucking Red Sox. He is the Boston Red Sox, Jerry Remy. So you didn't get any emotional send-off for him. And I'm thinking to myself, he might be thinking in his head, this is it for him. And it might have hit him harder than it hit Osillo. <laughs> so, I don't know where they're going to go with that now. They're bringing in Dave O'Brien. Is, is Remy going to stay? I have no idea. I don't know. I just I got, the, I got a feeling yesterday that when they're doing this and Remy's sit, sitting there crying, I'm going, ah, it, it kind of feels like maybe this is Jerry Remy's last game too, doesn't it? 
Emotional moment. I had to follow that up by, and of course, I'm in an awkward spot because Dave O'Brien's doing the fucking game that I'm following up on, and he's giving his send-off to WEI. He's jumping into the nesting spot. I'm sitting there going, all right, last Red Sox review. I'm watching the Broncos-Vikings going, ah, I, I kind of care more about football right now because, and I even, you know, I did open up by, you know, saying I'm honored to be on the same station as Dave O'Brien, which I was, which I am and was, and being part of the Red Sox review all season long with those guys. Uh, and I also said that it was a pleasure to watch Don Osillo and have him be a part of the Red Sox broadcast as I watched the Red Sox for the last 15 years. So um, I-, I thanked him for everything that, that he's done and, and the great job that he's done and basically said that Don Osillo, he's not going to need any luck. I mean, He's great at what he does, so he'll be fine. But I'm on WEI last night, and I'm trying to follow this up, and everybody's so emotional, and I'm sitting there going, I just want this fucking Red Sox season to be over. Like, I'm, I'm almost happy that the Red Sox season was over at that point in time. Like, I was thrilled with it. I'm like, oh, Red Sox season's over. The last three months has been, you know, with regards to the result of the games, it's been meaningless. Like, let's just get it over with. You know, everyone's emotional, moving jobs. I'm sitting there going... I'm 32 years old, going to be 33, and I've yet to have a full-time fucking job in this business, and I'm supposed to feel bad for everybody? <laughs> I don't feel bad for anyone. That's, that's, there's another side of me that actually feels that way, right? I've been in this business for 10 years. Nobody's given me a full-time fucking opportunity. I'm supposed to sit here and be, I'm, I'm on the weekends, and you know, I was off. The, they gave me, I had the whole month off, basically, in September. I'm finally back. I'm happy to be on air. I'm supposed to be all negative and emotional because other people, you could say losing their jobs, all right. Oh, still, all right, he's gone with the Red Sox. It's emotional. He wanted to stay. He's been here for 15 years. I get that, but, you know, he, he's got a nice little job in San Diego right away. Wait, right? Like, you know, I'm supposed to sit here and remain emotional about it? I'm trying to do my job? No, I, look, these guys are going to be fine. Me? I'm still fucking plugging away, just trying to get somebody that makes decisions in this town to say, ah, the Boston accent isn't really a big deal. That that seems to be the the thing that just sticks with some people, that they, they just can't get over, right? Oh. Welcome to fucking Boston, okay? That, that's, my, that's my thought on that. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I was in a tough spot because I had uh, two sides of me. I got Dave O'Brien here on the station. I got the TV. Everybody's emotional. I'm sitting there like, I, thank God the Red Sox season is over. And also, how am I supposed to feel bad for, for people that keep getting full-time jobs? And I'm sitting there, I can't get a fucking thing. Uh, so, you know. It is what it is at that point, but I did the show. We did a short one, and uh, I've moved on from all that. I've moved on from the Red Sox season. I'm on to the Major League Baseball postseason, and I think I'm kind of on NFL Week 5, though we got one more game tonight, Monday Night Football, Detroit in Seattle. Stay away from the spread in this one, please. Would you just stay away from it? And I know you might not want to take my advice because it was 0 for 5. For picks, picks. But I'll be right back at it on Friday. You better believe I'll be back at it. I'm going to be back to my winning ways, right? Week one, I was four and one. We're getting back to that next week. Please join me. You're going to regret it. You're going to regret it. And if you don't want to listen to me, maybe at least you listen to my picks and take the opposite. Yeah, if, you, if you're knocking me that much, then what you do is you listen and you just pick the opposite of what I'm picking. 
But I, I don't just throw teams against the wall and pick them. I don't just circle random teams because I like their uniforms. I'm, I'm actually giving you some, some meaning behind the picks, okay? There's some passion and some meaning behind it. And as I broke it down for you today, basically I'm blaming it all on some just terrible decisions throughout the entire National Football League uh, because it was an ugly weekend. Will it remain ugly tonight? I expect Seattle to win in their own building, get back to 2-2, two and two, but I'm just not confident in the spread being 9.5, 10 points, no Marshawn Lynch, so stay away. Whatever happens, I will break it all down. I'm here five days a week, dannypicard.com. You can also subscribe on iTunes, anywhere podcasts are available. Follow me on Twitter, at Danny Picard. Like me on Facebook, all forms of social media. And, uh, yeah, we'll get to some more postseason baseball. I'll get a little bit more in-depth into the rotations and the postseason matchups that we have. Wildcard games begin tomorrow night. Tomorrow night is the AL wildcard. Wednesday is the NL wildcard. And uh, so we'll do a little bit more of that in the middle of the week. And, obviously, Wednesday I'll turn the page to week five officially in the NFL, give my week five NFL preview. And uh, the Thursday night game is Houston and the Colts. And as I mentioned, the news is that Andrew Luck is expected to play in that game. But one more game in week four tonight. I'll break it all down tomorrow. Talk to you then.